Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death then, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thank you, Joe. So, Peter, we welcome you up. Can I just pray for you? Lord, thank you for Peter. And Lord, as he um, speaks to us this morning, we pray we would have ears to hear uh, your message. Um, Lord, we pray for your anointing on Peter your very close presence for all of us this morning as we engage with your word. Amen. Thank you, Kath. Morning, everybody. It's the first Sunday in Lent. If you're Anglican, you'll know about Lent. It kind of takes up the 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness as a preparation for Easter. And it kind of encourages us to do maybe more self-examination than we're used to doing to kind of get ready to celebrate the resurrection. And this Lent, we are focusing on the cross. Jesus is not an idea or a philosophy or a precept or a rule or a discipline or a philosophy. He He is the center of everything. He's the beginning, he's the end, 
He is what it is all for. He's, he's our joy. He's our delight. He's the reason why we will come here. If you have Jesus, then you have everything. And if you don't, then you have nothing, however much you have. Nothing in human history comes close to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Nothing is as important. Nothing is as significant. And right in the middle is the cross. Right in the middle of everything, there is the cross. And nothing communicates the heart of God like the cross does. And nothing reveals what we're like, what humans are like, the way the cross does. Nothing at all, anywhere, demonstrates so clearly who he is and who we are than the cross. Jesus, who is in himself the very essence of God, not just made in his image as we are, but Jesus, who is part of God, put himself in a place where we could destroy him and reject the kingdom that he offered. And he didn't just do it kind of well as a volunteer. You know, someone has to do it, so, you know, I can see it's got to be me. He did it with his whole heart. He went there willingly. He set his face to go to Jerusalem, absolutely knowing what was going to happen, for the joy set before him, for us. The cross reveals the Father's heart like nothing else. When people doubt God's goodness, the cross says more than any human words ever could. And the cross reveals both the heights and the depth of being human. The cross shows the heights of being human, kind of the glory of being human, because we were worth dying for. We were worth dying for. We were worth God dying for. With that valuable, with that precious there's there's that much in us that we are worth God dying for we're not just formed from chaos or accident you know little random particles of matter that somehow became sentient We're not just pawns in some game that someone else is playing, you know, whether it's the dictatorship of the proletariat or the thousand-year empire or the perfect freedom of the markets, choose your own poison. We were formed from love and for love, and we are known individually and uniquely. And 
the power that made the universe with its galaxies, of which this planet is such a tiny part, actually knows everybody here by name and would die for just that one. So the cross tells us just how valuable we are. But at the same time, the cross tells the truth about what we're like. The cross brings us face to face with reality. And as C.S. Lewis said, human beings cannot stand very much reality. Our brokenness, our contamination with evil, our aptitude for evil... As the general confession puts it, through ignorance, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault, we grab hold of evil and we make it worse. We are the kind of people who would kill someone like Jesus and reject his kingdom. Do not be fooled. Do not think you are any different from the people who stood outside Pilate's palace and asked for Jesus' blood. You're not. We are the kind of people who would kill someone like Jesus and reject his kingdom. And yet, the Father's reaction to that is the reaction of the Father to the prodigal. It's the reaction of Jesus to the lame, and the blind, and the hurting, and the prostitutes, and the broken, and the desperate, and the bereaved. Which is what makes the gospel such incredibly good news. The cross is completely realistic about what we are like. Both our heights, both the beauty in us, and the value in us, and the glory in us, And also, the shame. Another C.S. Lewis. Being human is enough pride to raise the head of the humblest beggar and enough shame to bow the king, the head of the greatest king. The cross is wonderful and horrible all at the same time. We sing the wonderful cross, and that's 100% appropriate. We also sing, I do not know, I cannot tell what pain he had to bear, but we believe it was for us he hung and suffered there. Because on the cross, for the first time in eternity, Jesus experienced his relationship with the Father being broken. He experienced abandonment. Until then, he always lived in the Father's presence. But on the cross, he experienced what it means to be separated from God. And, you know, he then became like us because we are separated from God. Of all the pain that we brought on ourselves 
in the fall, in the, in the rebellion at the beginning. The worst is our disconnect from God. As the prophets say sadly, no one has ever seen God. It would burn us up. would burn us up. No one has ever seen God. But Jesus has made him known. And in that separation, Jesus... Jesus became one like us. But it was far worse for him, more than we can imagine, because we've never lived in heaven. We've never lived an uncontaminated life and then had to take the condemnation of the world onto us. And it's the cross that makes redemption a beautiful story because it makes sense of the pain and the mess as well as the joy. There's no denial or pretense or wishful thinking or, well, you didn't really mean it or any of that kind of thing. We are presented exactly as we are with our glory and with our shame. And yet at the same time, we get to come home and God paid the price. And Lent is is a time to come face to face with that, to come face to face with the cross and humble ourselves again and let the Holy Spirit take some of Paul's words, set your mind on what's above. Put to death what's evil in you. And let the Holy Spirit shine a light on that. But our culture makes it very difficult for us to do that. Because culture always pulls the gospel to fit its shape. And um, we live in a postmodern culture, though you could equally call it a post-Christendom culture. And after 1,500 years of Christendom and about values being formed and shaped by the gospel, there's lots still there. And one of the things is there's still an optimism. There's still a belief that, that something is coming, that, that we're going to get it better, that, that, you know, I can be anything I want to be. But But Christian optimism is based on what Jesus did. It's based on the cross and the resurrection and the promise that he's coming back. The culture wants a kind of the kingdom without the king. We're self-authenticating autonomous beings whose identity emerges like a little flower from within and all I need is some careful nurture and the best of everything and then I can be all that I can be. I sit in the middle and I pick the bits I like and I have a beautiful life. Follow me on Instagram and see how amazing it is. But that's a story that has no place for sadness or pain, or misfortune, or lack of fulfillment, or human brokenness. They have no part in that story, so we kind of hide them and deny them, and are full of shame. 
and also even to ourselves, it doesn't ring quite true, that story. It doesn't ring quite true. We have a kind of sneaking suspicion that maybe it's being marketed to us, this kind of modern identity. And our rulers, whether they're the politicians or the institutions or the corporations or the social media, they don't really buy it either. They don't buy the story of kind of autonomy and in control and make my own identity because they know that actually we're herd-like, predictable and extremely easy to manipulate. In a way, we're like children in a forest at night, kind of walking through the forest on our own saying, I know where I'm going, I know where I'm going, I know where I'm going. And I'm contrasting the cross with our culture, not out of any sense of superiority or, or even wanting to judge, but because the culture we live in always tries to shape the gospel to itself. So anything in the way of the cross that affirms us and how much we're loved and our significance and our worth goes down very well indeed. And all those things are true. But it so easily becomes a therapeutic gospel. It's all about me. It's all about me and my story. How God can prosper me and what he can do to bless me. So if you're coaching me or discipling me, you know, don't say anything that I don't want to hear. You know, don't say anything that might push me or make me feel uncomfortable. What your job is, is to listen to everything I've got to say and then agree with it. You know, and then affirm me when I've finished. But the cross cuts through all of that. The cross just cuts through all of that. When I look at how Jesus died, it cuts through all my pretensions, all my sense of entitlement, and all my preoccupation with myself. And literally, I'm brought to my knees. And sometimes all I can pray is, Oh God, help me. That old prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And paradoxically, though it seems, that is the path to freedom. The path to freedom is not being in control and holding on tightly to everything and getting and keeping as much as I possibly can and just choosing the bits of the way of Jesus that might be comfortable. The path to freedom is the path that has always been. And it's repent and believe the good news. And repentance, as you've heard many times, is a turning. It's turning away from the darkness, away from the things that destroy and hurt, and towards the light. And it's believing the Son of God. 
Paul usually starts his letters with some amazing theology about the way that God has rescued us. And then he gets very practical, which we heard in our reading. And the first thing he says is, set your hearts, and then later set your minds, on the things that are above, which means give attention to Jesus Christ. Make room for him. Take time out to focus on who Jesus is and not on yourself. And this is a great thing to do. And I don't know if you're doing anything for Lent. Um, We had a great Ash Wednesday service and um, at the end of it, I went home and I thought, no, I'm not going to do anything this year. Can't, Can't really be bothered. That's not what I should have been thinking. But it is what I was thinking. And um, then the next time I was praying, God took me to task on that. And I began to reconsider. And what I normally do for um, Lent is I give up computer games. Because I, I like to play computer games on my phone. You know, if I've got a minute or two or a gap, you know, I'll, I'll play a computer game. Um, for me, it's not the shoot 'em up games that work. I like the card games, the word games, the number games, you know, Sudokus and things like that. Um, those things, I really enjoy doing those um, on our day off um, over breakfast. Anne and I will often do the Sudoku and see who can finish it first. You know, I know it's sad, but, you know, that's me. I love to do that. And it kind of You know, it's easy processing. If I've got a gap in the day and I'm going too fast, if there's a gap, I just play a computer game. And um, sometimes I think, you might spend a bit too much time doing that, Peter. And that's why, in Lent, I kind of just don't do computer games. Um, But this year, I sense the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to take it a step further because... What happens for me when I, if I can't do that, then I haven't got a go-to thing for when I stop. So what that does is it creates some space in my life. You know, if I'm walking to the bathroom or something like that, you know, it's not my kind of go-to thing that can distract me. It creates some space in my life. And I was talking to God about what to do with that space and um, it wasn't what I expected. And I sensed the Holy Spirit, and I always check this stuff out with Anne, um, because, you know. And I sensed God saying, what I want you to do this year is I want you to remember how much I delight in you. And I'm kind of saying to God, well, yeah, but isn't that the therapeutic gospel? You know, isn't that just about me? Again, this is an imaginary conversation. I'm not hearing the audible voice of God. It's kind of the spirit prompting me as I kind of reflect on the Bible reading. And, you know, and I sense the spirit saying, no, it's not the therapeutic gospel, Peter, because it's my kindness that leads you to repentance. It's my kindness that leads you to repentance. And it's when you remember how much I delight in you that you have 
the courage to walk the life of faith and walk the life of repent and believe. And you won't get there any other way. So what I want to do this morning is invite anybody who wants to to kind of take a repent and believe journey up to Easter. I mean, you can do it for as long or as short as you like, but that's kind of a useful period. It's, um, it's long enough that you can't avoid it, but it kind of, you know, it's, it's not forever either. It's a, it's a good period. And um, I want to invite anybody who wants to to come on a repent and believe journey. And I think that for a lot of us, the starting point is going to be remember how God takes delight in you. I mean, it, it does not stop there because then it is just the therapeutic gospel. What that does is give you the courage to walk, repent, and believe, to put to death the pride, the greed, the lust, the selfishness, the need to be in control and to embrace the path of the cross and let both God and your brothers and sisters speak into your life. You need your brothers and sisters to speak into your life. I cannot do without my brothers and sisters speaking into my life. So we're going to do it in a really simple way and it's just for anybody who wants to. I'm going to try and make it easy. So I'm going to ask the band to come up and to, to, to play a worship song. And as they do that, if you sense the Holy Spirit saying, yes, I want you to take this journey, and it's absolutely fine if you don't, just come and kneel by the cross. Just come and kneel by the cross. And I also sense that there may be one or two people here this morning who are absolutely desperate. You just, it's not the cross you need this morning. That's where you, you need resurrection. And um, if that's you, I want you to be on the resurrection side rather than the cross side. And then we'll gather round. Um, so... Would you like to stand? It's easier for people to move if we're kind of standing and worshipping. And then we'll see what the Holy Spirit wants to do.